This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. I believe we've got to get a hold of this. We've got to pray just to make it today. I'll wrap for you a little bit. That's all i got. If you need a Bible, once you raise your hand, our ushers will get you a Bible. Once you get that, go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And I... Um, Hope all of you who attended the, the XO conference yesterday, you really enjoyed that. It amazes me when we go to a marriage thing how much it helps Shelly. I'm telling you guys, she is coming around. And so you've got to get your spouse out to this, and it will really help them. Hebrews 4 is where we'll begin today. And when we talk about prayer, it's just not a bunch of words, okay? I believe the goal from Father God is that, that we learn to pray from our heart. And so through the scriptures today... It's going to give us great insight on how God desires us to pray. Hebrews 4, verse uh, 14. And it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast on the confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So when you talk about Jesus here, Oftentimes we think that, you know, he, he walked this earth and he didn't go through the things we did. He did. He was tempted in a full range of temptations, but he never did sin. And I believe the Lord Jesus, he, he welcomes all of us to pray, to come before him any time that he loves us. I think one of the best descriptions of Jesus, he's loyal. He's always there. Verse uh, 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, this is what the Word tells us, that God's desire is that we come boldly. Not in fear, not with our heads hung low, not in shame, but boldly. Now, that word boldly, it literally means without reservation and with a confidence. And so God said, man, come boldly, come, come without reservation, you know, uh, my, my mom and dad are getting close to being 80 years old. And to this day, when I go to their house, I, I don't ever ask my mom or my dad, can I get in the refrigerator? I just boldly do it. You know why? Because I'm their son, and that's what sons do. I mean, I, I don't ask for I just go in there, and I start tearing it up. Well, it's the same with Father God. He says, man, come, come, and come boldly, come with the confidence, not arrogantly. But come boldly, and listen how he ends this here. That we may attain mercy for our past and find grace for the present and future to help in a time of need. And so this is God's desire for every one of us. Now in saying that, turn, turn to your right and you're going to come to the book of James. Go to James chapter 5. James chapter number 5. And we're going to be in James 5, and then we're going to go back to James 4 later. And it's just loaded with great passages that will teach us how to pray biblically. Now, the next few verses, actually verses 13 through 18 in James 5, uh, take note on how many times James references prayer here. Uh, Verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The New Living says that you should pray. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful or happy? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them 
pray over him. How are we to pray over them? He said to anoint them with oil. Now, we believe this in this church. I believe in the anointing of oil. Actually, I keep a thing of anointing oil down there. Listen, the anointing oil, it, it isn't some magic potion, okay? A lot of times people say, man, you know, if, if you'll send $19.99 in, we will give you. It's not going to help, okay? Actually, the anointing oil is in significance of the Holy Spirit. So he tells me here, we must anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a big thing we learn how to pray because when we pray, we come in the name of Jesus. This is how that it was modeled to us that, Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And everything I do is in that name because that name represents victory. It represents salvation. It represents everything that Jesus died for. So you've got to get a hold of the name of Jesus. Keep reading. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith... And the prayer of faith, a prayer offered in faith. Now, many times this is where we miss it. I'm just going to stop right there. We come to God and, and we pray, and it's almost like throwing dice. Boy, I sure hope we hit it today. But when we pray in faith, it's actually saying, I believe, Father God, that you're going to answer my prayer even before the answer is actually there. That that's part of praying in faith, that I believe God, that I believe God will do what he says he'll do. So he tells me right here, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you should be healed. Now think about all this right here. He says, anoint him with oil in the name of Jesus and pray for him. Pray the prayer of faith and they'll be healed. And in this one, he says, something happens when human beings, we confess our sins to one another. And then he said, pray that they'll be healed. Keep reading. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, one of our most powerful resources in communion with God is prayer. Once again, don't view prayer as a punishment View prayer as a privilege. And oftentimes, th this is how we go as human beings. Now think about this. this. This may hit you. It got me. Oftentimes, we'll try to do everything in our own ability, our own mind, our own talents. And then when none of that works, you know what we say? Well, I guess all we can do now is pray. As if prayer's the last resort. No, prayer should be our first resort. And we get out there and we believe God. Now, in this passage here, in, in, in James 5, verse 16 here, it is loaded with some nuggets. Let's, let's break this down a little bit. And it says, the effective. The effective. Now, listen to the definition of the word effective here. The Amplified says, earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer. And so he's telling me here, the effective prayer is, is a prayer that's from my heart. It's just not empty words, but it must come from my heart. So he says, the effective, fervent. What does the word fervent mean? Well, the word fervent here means to show great intensity. To have a passion that, man, I come before God and I get a praise. So when we break that down, the effective, fervent prayer is characterized by a prayer that's passionate, it's t intense, but it's also heartfelt, the effective. 
So what would be the opposite of that? That would be the ineffective. And the ineffective prayer is someone that comes to pray, but my heart's not in it at all. Oh, God, I just hope you answer this today. I believe there must be some passion here that that James is trying to get across to us. So we jump to verse 17. Elijah was a man. He was human. See, a lot of times when we read about people in the Bible, we get some thought that they're some superhero. That they were born with this halo on their head. He wasn't. Point blank, Elijah was human, and it says he had a nature like ours. So the nature like ours was he understood weakness. He understood pain. He understood what it was to go, go through this life like a normal human being. And he goes on to say this in this passage, and he prayed earnestly. That word earnestly literally means Sincere in attitude and sincere in intention. Intention. So there was a sincerity in this guy named Elijah's heart when he began to pray. And he goes on to say, and that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. So he's telling me here that a human being like me and you, we can pray like Elijah prayed. And have the same results that Elijah got. Verse 18. And he, Elijah, prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. So he's telling me two things here. We can all pray like Elijah did. But we can also all pray and get results like he did. And so the highlight here is James is saying that you and me as human beings with like nature... Just like Elijah, if I'll learn to pray the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man, and that word righteous means a man who wants to live to please God, his prayer shall avail or his prayer shall benefit. And so every one of us in this room, we can pray this way. Now, he prayed first that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. And then number two, he prayed that it would rain, and it did rain. Now, go with me way back into the Old Testament to 1 Kings 17. And this is where part of this passage picks up because I believe we can learn great things from the man, Elijah, who was a man of God. When we observe what he did in his prayer time. So we pick up here, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, and that word Tishbite just means he was from an area called Tishbe, of the inhabitants of Gilead, he said to Ahab. Now, first of all, you've got to understand a little bit about this guy named Ahab. Ahab went down in history as probably the worst king in Israel. And the reason he was the worst king in Israel, it started that he married a woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was literally the wicked witch of the east, the north, the west, the south, all of above, okay? And when he married Jezebel, it was if he was endorsing immorality and idolatry. Now, this has nothing to do with prayer. 
But I encourage you, before you get married, research the character of the person you're going to marry. Wow, that's a novel idea, Pastor. I've never thought of that. It'll save you a lot. And this is what happens right here. So he's talking to Ahab, and he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, and it's interesting that you note that right there, the Lord God of Israel, the Hebrew God. In other words, when people say, you know, we all pray to the same God, that's a lie, okay? I don't pray to that dude the Muslims are praying to, okay? That dude's locked up in a tomb. I don't pray to the God of Harry Christian. I pray to the Lord God of Israel, and this is who Elijah makes a stand to, and he says, this is who I'm praying to. And he goes on to say, before whom I stand, and that literally means before whom I have always stood in prayer. So this tells me right here that Elijah's character was this. I pray in the good, the bad, and the ugly. He was a man of prayer. And think back last week when we studied in Daniel 10. Remember in Daniel's life it said he prayed morning, noon, and night. So these guys, they made a prayer a habit. In other words, they weren't a saint on Sunday and a sinner the rest of their life. They had a commitment to God. So he said, I stood and I prayed. Therefore, there shall not be any dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, Elijah boldly, boldly, with confidence, he says this to Ahab. He said, listen, buddy, it ain't going to rain for three and a half years at my word. Now, he didn't say this in arrogance. He didn't say this pridefully. He said this with the confidence that he knew, when I pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God moves. God moves. And this is the point where we got to get to in life, where you can go in there and, and prayer wasn't ever meant to be hit and miss. So now we go to, to 1 Kings 18. And as you're turning to 1 Kings 18, let, let me tell you what's going on in those three and a half years. Ahab begins to worship the Baals, the false god. And there's this big confrontation with the 450 false prophets of Baal and Elijah. And Elijah begins to mock them. I mean, he begins to make fun of them and he puts them down. And you look in the natural man, he's messing with something he shouldn't know. He's not. He knew who he was in Christ. So I'm going to read one verse in there that will give you the heart of Elijah, and then we're going to jump down further. Verse 36 of 1 Kings 18. And it said, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day, that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. So Elijah identifies once again the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He identifies himself and says, you know what? I'm a servant of God. But then he comes back and says, I'm submitted to your word. I'm submitted to you. Keep that thought in mind right there. Jump with me to verse 41 of chapter 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, now this is after the three and a half years has gone by. He said, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Now when Elijah tells Ahab, he says, listen buddy, go up, for I hear the sound of abundance of rain. There's not a cloud in the sky. 
If we went and looked at the rain gauge, there's not a trace in there. So when Elijah said this, this was literally a statement of faith. That this was a man that he trusted God so much that he looked at Ahab and said, Get ready, buddy. Get ready. Verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. Now, the first thing that we got to get across here, guys, the first point is the posture of prayer. If you remember we were here last week, we saw when the angel came to Daniel in Daniel 10, that it said Daniel was literally on his knees and on the palms of his hands. Remember that? This time, there's this guy named, named Elijah, and said that he's sitting there praying, and he literally tucks his head between his legs. And so when we talk about the posture of prayer here, guys, it's not so much in the physical of what I'm doing. See, a lot of times we think, well, if I get on my knees and on my palms, that's the ticket. That's how it's going to be. If I just do that, everything's going to happen. But literally the posture of prayer that he was talking about here was reverence in his heart. He was saying, I bow before you, Father God. I honor you. I know who I'm coming before. Think about this, what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. In other words, the greatest posture of prayer we come is with our heart that said, Lord, I, I reverence you. I know who you are. That's the first point. The second point I'm going to jump into real quick is this. Just because God has given us his promises throughout his word, it does not mean that it'll be fulfilled just because God promised it. In other words, a lot of people would say, well, if it's God's will, he's just going to do it. Well, if that was the case, why did James tell us over and over we got to pray? Why would we pray if it's all up to God? Now, I'm not saying God doesn't play a part in it. But think about this in this sense. Does God desire that everybody go to heaven? Absolutely. The Bible is very clear that says God desires that none go to hell. Will there be people that will go to hell? Yeah. You know why? They don't ask Jesus to come into their heart. Something happens when God has given me promises and things begin to work when I say, Father God, I ask you to bless me with those. So we keep reading here, verse 43. And Elijah said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times Elijah said, Go again. Now, if you were the little servant boy, I mean, he says, Go up to the highest peak. And I go up there seven times and nothing. And finally you're looking and saying, That dude is messed up. I don't know what he's expecting. Now think about this. If every one of us in this room were given an opportunity to pray about things, and the first time we prayed about it, nothing happened, how many of us in this room would bail out the first time? That ah, stinking prayer doesn't work. And then he sends him the second time. And how many more of us would bail out? And finally we get to the seventh time, and I really wonder how many of us in this room would be here the seventh time. So the third thing that I begin to see here with this guy named Elijah was he prayed with a persistence. He prayed with the thought, I'm not going to leave 
until he blesses me. I'm not going to leave until this, this prayer is answered. Now, you want to hear something very interesting about this. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says, A righteous man will fall seven times, but he'll keep getting back up. You know what that literally means right here? That he never loses his faith. Ooh, I don't know what's going on again, guys. He never loses his faith. He continues to trust God, and he keeps getting up. And so here's a key for every one of us in here. Pray with a perseverance. Pray with a persistence. Understand this. We're not beggars, but we are believers. And so seven times he keeps saying, go, go, come back. And so he comes back on the seventh time in verse 44. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. Now think about this in proportion to what he said. There's a man's hand rising out of the sea. You know what that would look like? That would look like a speck. I mean, you would look down there and think, wow, look how little that is. But that's all that Elijah needed. He just needed that speck. Now the Lord Jesus said to us in Matthew 17, 20, he said, if you had the faith as of a A mustard seed. In other words, God is not looking for quantity. God is just looking for quality. Even if it's just a tiny bit of faith, God's saying, get a hold of this. So when Elijah, the, the, little, the little servant comes back and said, there's a hand popping out of the ocean, I'm telling you, I believe Elijah was like, yes! So look what he does when that happens. So he said, Go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now, when he said this here, Elijah believed his prayer was answered before the answer actually came. You know what that is? That's praying with faith. Where's that, Pastor? That's Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Now, whatsoever things you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have whatever you ask. And so that's all Elijah did. But once again, the fourth point is here, you got to pray with a faith. you got to start believing God. Some of you, I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. We're teaching on faith, and the reason I'm teaching on it, because I believe so many within our church right now, we don't know how to live by faith. And yet the whole New Testament says the just shall live by faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. I've got to learn how to operate in faith. And this is one of the ways faith operates. That you believe you receive. What am I believing I receive? The very promises of God that I understand. When I begin to pray to God, he's going to move. And so in this passage here, he says, tell O Ahab to hook up the chariot. Verse 45. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and the wind, and there was a heavy rain. Now, get this. It had rained for three and a half years. And I bet, oh, oh Elijah, he's got a Holy Spirit laugh in him. How many of you have ever laughed with the Spirit? I mean, you just get so tickled because you know this is such a God thing. 
And all of a sudden, the clouds come in and the thunder and the lightning. And, I mean, Ahab's in that chariot. I bet Ahab's freaking. I mean, he, oh, my gosh. Keep reading. Verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his lords, and he ran Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, listen real close here. I believe everyone of us in this room, we desire to pray like Elijah and have the results that Elijah got. Many of us in this room say, you know what? I would love to see God do miracles through me like he did through Elijah. But the greatest miracle in all this passage is this right here. Not that he prayed and it rained. And when he said here, tell Ahab to hook up the chariot and go to Jezreel. Jezreel was between 20 and 25 miles away. And if you get this right here, Elijah outran the chariot. This dude was a marathoner. But that wasn't the greatest miracle. The greatest thing that I see that happened in Elijah's life, that he had developed a relationship with Father God so much that this guy knew, when I pray, God answers. And that's how I believe God wants every one of us to get. And so you go back and you look with what James said. The highlight of what he said is learn to pray with faith. Learn to pray with persistence. Learn to pray with action. And hang on to the things of God, and God will move in your life. He'll move in my life. This is some of the stuff we can learn. Now go back to the book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4. Remember last week, as you're going back there, that in uh, Ephesians 6, 18, it said pray always. Pray always. You know 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says pray without ceasing. In other words, I believe the Lord's saying right there, have bulldog faith. You clamp down on that promise, and you don't quit praying until you see the result. And I say this from my heart right now. That's what some of you need to do in your marriage. Some of you need to do that for kids, your kids. See, oftentimes this is how our prayer looks like. Oh, Father God, I pray today that you save my kid. And the Lord hears that prayer. And he gets his angels and he says, Come here, Gabriel. I want to put you on assignment and I want you to start working on behalf of so-and-so's prayer. But right after we pray that, we say stuff like, Crud, nothing ever good's happened to my kids. My prayers never are being answered. And so God looks and he goes, Hey, Gabriel, come back over here. You know what's just happened? We've negated our prayers with the very words out of our mouth. And that's part of learning to live by faith, that I learned to speak what God says, and I learned to speak with the mouth of God. The same word that God says, you start speaking that over yourself. If God says you're more than a conqueror, then start speaking that. Well, I can't do that. That'd be lying, no. God said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. So in any area of my life that I can, I start saying, I thank you, Father God. You said that I can. I can be a great husband. I can be a great daddy just because you said I can. And so actually all I'm doing is I'm getting my mouth and my heart in line with what God said. And when God speaks, he calls those things that don't exist as though they do. Romans 4.17. Now here we are in James chapter 4. This is some good stuff right here. 
Verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires or pleasures that battle or war within your members? So he's saying there's a tug of war happening on the inside of us that's fighting all the time. Verse 2. You lust. Now think about the word lust. What does lust do? It's, it's like a hook that just reels us in. He said, you lust and do not have. You even go so far as you murder. Now, all of us in this room, we look and we say, I hadn't murdered anybody. You know what the Lord Jesus said? That if you hate someone in your heart, it's as if you've murdered them. This is what he's talking about. So what is he really telling me here? He's going back to my heart. It's a condition of my heart. He goes on to say, And you covet or you burn with envy, but you cannot obtain. So he's saying you've tried all these things to get them with all your man-made resources, with all your man-made talents and abilities, but he warns us right here, but you cannot obtain. In other words, you're not going to get it that way. Now listen real close to verse to the last part of verse 2. Pretty simple right here. You do not have because you do not ask. Oftentimes as believers, we assume. We assume God's going to do this or God's going to do that. I've got to quit assuming. And I've just got to go to the Lord in prayer and I say, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I ask this start happening. And so the first thing he tells us in this passage is you don't have because you don't even ask. I can be guilty of that. Verse 3. You ask, but do not receive. Now all of a sudden he throws it completely around. The first one you don't have because you don't ask. Now he says, you ask, but you don't receive. Why do we not receive? He goes on to say this. Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So you know what he tells me right here? The reason I can't give it to you this time, even though you've asked, is because you've asked for the wrong reasons. You've asked for the wrong motives. Do you not think that God's not smart enough? He created every one of us. That he knows there are certain things that if he gave you right now in your life, you would quit serving God. You would backslide. You know why? I'm not spiritually mature enough to handle it. So God looks and says, I can't give him that. I got a nine-year-old grandson, and it would be stupid for me to give him a Colt 45 and said, here, go out back and play with your sister. But see, that's exactly what we've thought God ought to do. God, I don't know why you won't give that to me. I've asked. Well, you know why? Because I'm probably spiritually not mature enough to handle it. So he deals with us in this area. Now look what he gets to in the last one in verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Stop. You know what that says immediately? Unfaithful. Cheater. Uh-oh. Keep reading. Do you not know that friendship with the world, and that word world there literally means the values of this world, the mindset of this world, the philosophies of this world. And he said, do you not know that friendship with the world is an enemy with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
And so when you look at this, he says basically here, you've been unfaithful. You've had an illicit love uh, love affair with the world. You've broken your vows to me is what God said. And every opportunity you get to flirt with the world, you do it. And so right here, you know what he begins to tell me and you? The, The next area why we don't receive is because we would rather date God than be married to God. Oh, that hurts. See, God's not into dating. You know what happens when you date someone? You spend a few hours with them, and then you send them home. But when you're married to someone, you see them 24-7. You see the good, the bad, the ugly. But God's saying, listen, I, I want to be married to you. I want you all the time. And so in this part right here, literally God is saying, I want you to be submitted to me. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. See, often we don't want to be submitted to God. Let me say it this way. I want the things of God, but I don't want God. Woo. So every one of those can locate each one. Is that me? Do I never ask God? Do I just assume? Do I ask for the wrong motives? Or... Am I just dating God? Now, I want you to look at this one. This is the last one we'll go to. 1 John chapter 3. Just go to your right there. You'll go through Peter, and then you'll come to 1 John 3. You know, the Lord Jesus told us, he said in John 15, 7, he said, if my words abide in you, and you abide in my word, you'll ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That word abide means to remain. That word abide means to live. So listen, God's saying, I don't like to share you. Remember one of the definitions of God, he's a jealous God. God said, I want all of you. And he means that in a good way. Because God understands we as human beings, when we start flirting around with the world, that's why he says it's an enemy of God. It's not that God doesn't like you, but he knows what the world does to us when it gets on the inside of me. God said, man, I love you. Now watch this verse right here, 1 John 3. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive of him. Woohoo! Oh, happy day. What a promise. Was God lying about? No, he wasn't. Because, now I got to get you this right here. This is the because factor. Because we keep his commandments. We obey his commandments. Now there's nothing in there that God said, listen, you guys got to be perfect. But I can't willfully and habitually live in sin. When God starts dealing with my heart, it'll change me. You know, I heard yesterday in the marriage deal, Jimmy Evans said this. He said, you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. I flinched a little when I thought, darn, that's good. So you know what it says? The Bible locates me. Do I obey God? Look how he ends this verse. And he said, and he keeps his commandments and do, do, do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And so I got to come before him and I said, Father God, I want to please you. I don't like doing the things that I know displease you. But the problem in all this happens most of the time when we say, you know what? I want to make a deal with God. 
And I go to church because. And it's amazing how obedient and holy become, people become when they got a need, when we got a miracle. See, the issue is this. We're not called to be saints on Sundays and sinners the rest of the time. And when I go back and look at the man Elijah, he was a man that was submitted to God. He said, I want to serve. I'm a servant of God. And so this is designed to help us in in prayer to understand we can come boldly. We can pray with effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man. But we've got to start learning from this and saying, okay, Lord, I want to live to please you. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.